1: Good morning, it's 8.30 on Monday, July 23rd. I'm Karen Brown and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, will more Mississippi women run for office? We'll hear from two organizations helping some get ready. For many
2: years, I think women didn't see themselves as being political humans, but as time has gone by, we realize that women have so much to offer in the uh, world of government, whether it be at the local level or the
1: national level. Then we'll learn more about tech tools for pets on Everyday Tech. Plus, find out why a group of farmers say their crops were sabotaged. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Efforts are underway to prepare more Mississippi women to pursue political office. According to Rutgers University's Center for American Women in Politics, the state ranks 46th in the nation for women holding elected positions. Of the 174 members of the state legislature, 26 are women. Women make up more than 50% of eligible voters in the state, but only 14.9% of elected officials are women. Jeannie Lucky is a Republican National Committee woman from Mississippi. She's spearheading the Women's Initiative Network to get women involved in politics. She tells MPB's Desiree Fraser they hope to give tools to women to build confidence in running for office.
2: Well it's important to involve women in politics. For many years I think women didn't see themselves as being political humans, but as time has gone by we realize that women have so much to offer in the uh, world of government, whether it be at the local level or the national level. They have special skills and sets of tools that are different than men. And so we're very excited to do this and get women more and more involved in the political process.
3: What are the main challenges that women face?
2: Certainly, you can't win if you don't run. And so I think one of the biggest challenges that women have faced is simply not having the time and the motivation to run and be involved. It's not lack of intelligence or lack of of skill or lack of talent. I think they've just been busy. And so we want to show women how to become involved and make sure that they know that we're encouraging them to run for office, and be involved in politics.
3: Do you think overall that men receive women on the same level that they do their male counterparts in politics?
2: I've been involved in politics since I was in my 20s, and I have not once felt like that I was not received by males as well as females in the political arena. I have never seen that as a problem personally, and I don't think it is a problem. I just think we just haven't had as many women involved. And so that's our obstacle is to make sure that women become involved in politics. And then once they become involved, they will win and they will be a bigger presence in in politics.
3: Is there a certain profile that you're looking for? Does she have to be aggressive? Does she have to have a law degree? Because a lot of political office holders have a law degree.
2: No, we are not looking for any certain type or stereotype woman we are looking for all women we're looking for women who are just interested in being part of it and being part of the process and we're not only looking for women who want to run for office but we're also looking for women that want to help run campaigns women who want to help organize their neighborhood Women who are just interested and want to learn more.
3: There has been an upswell in interest since uh, President Trump took office. Have you found that reflected as a Republican?
2: Our goal is to get good conservative women more involved in politics. To stereotype women as believing one way or the other strictly because we're women is not correct. Women believe across the scale when it comes to political views. There are liberal women, there are conservative women. Of course, our goal is to involve more conservative women in the process.
3: So is this event open to all women, or is it just Republican?
2: It's open to Republican women. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is very concentrated on conservative issues, and that's why we're doing this, because there are other programs for women of all parties. But ours is going to be very dedicated to talking to women about issues that concern conservative women and equipping them with those tools so that they can go out and help in our party and be advocates for conservative causes. The most important thing is that we get the word out about this program. And this is something new. It's something exciting. It's something the party has never done before. Our state treasurer is the honorary chairman, and she's excited about it. So let's get the word out so that the women can apply and be part of this, because it's going to be a great initiative.
3: Well, Jeannie Lucky, we really appreciate you taking the
1: time to speak to us. Thank you. The Senate Institute Center for Public Service, a nonpartisan organization, is offering The one day training session in August to teach women how to organize a campaign. Jennifer Gregory is program director at the Stennis Center for Public Service. She tells our Desiree Frazier the program is in its second year.
0: Ready to Run Mississippi is a campaign training program for women. So it's very simply a one day training session regarding technical information, networking, leadership development, all for women that are either interested in running for office or for women across Mississippi that just want to get a little bit more involved in their communities, uh, might want to position themselves to be appointed to a board, a school board perhaps, or maybe just want to get involved in the political process a little bit more.
3: What made Stennis want to get involved in something like this?
0: Well, we have Ready to run Mississippi for the first time last year. And obviously, across the country, but even in Mississippi, there was a large swell of interest among women that were wanting to be involved. I think the presidential election sort of motivated women that, hey, we have a presidential candidate that's a woman, um, really that glass ceiling might not be completely broken, but it's certainly close to being broken. And so we saw interest across the state of women that wanted to do something, wanted to run for office, maybe run for city council in their communities or even for the state legislature, but they just weren't sure where to start. And so this Ready to Run program is actually a national program piloted by the Center for American Women in Politics at Rutgers University. There's been a lot of success across the country with this type of program. So we decided to pick up that ball, uh, sort of make it our own here in Mississippi, and provide training for women that had that interest but might not have the resources to get their campaigns going.
3: What are women saying to you about what they want to do uh, and, and, and why running for office is an option that they're looking at?
0: Well, it's interesting, typically, and and this is across Mississippi, but across the nation as well, men by generalities run for leadership opportunities. They think that they'll be a good candidate. They'll think that um, there's something that they can do or contribute. By and large, women run on issues. They might be unhappy with the status quo. Um, There might be a specific issue that's affecting their children or their family that they think they can have a positive impact on, and so there are a variety of issues. both local, state, and federal levels that I think women are interested in. Um, but what we're learning is that uh, they really want information starting at the most basic level. Um, we had over 200 women that attended Ready to Run last year in Jackson, and we had levels of experience across the gamut. But by and large, um, in whole, that group really wanted to learn the basics about Processes for running, deadlines, campaign finance, fundraising, digital marketing, those types of elements that a campaign staff typically handles, but women are interested in doing it themselves and and really building a team on the grassroots level.
3: One of the issues that has been raised about running for office is the expense of it and being willing to fortify yourself for some of the things that you might be accused of and that kind of thing. What are you telling women in terms of money and then bracing themselves for what their opponents might um, level against them?
0: There is a cost to it, and so fundraising is something that is so important. Um, generally speaking, women typically don't fundraise as well as men, and so we definitely focus on those basic skills of fundraising. But what women are good at um, is networking. Uh, Other women, other uh, peer mothers, other colleagues of theirs um, that are passionate about these same issues are willing to help. They just need to be asked. So we tell them from the very beginning, you have to get comfortable asking for help and asking for money. Additionally, you know, there is there is a difference in how the media portrays women candidates. You know, it's very unusual for a male candidate to have their clothing, their hair, or their appearance reported on by the media, but it's very common for the media to report on women's appearance, and so we tell them to be prepared for that, and we have a really wonderful speaker from South Carolina that will talk to them all about public relations. Relations. How do you talk to the media and how do you respond to negativity, to criticism, um, and to that type of scrutiny? But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we help these women identify qualified candidates and help them structure their campaigns in a solid and sound way so that they can be successful. Because the last statistic that we love to remind them of is that women – are more successful in campaigns when they run than men. We have that, those numbers that show that women win at a larger percentage than men, but they don't run as often.
3: How do people find out more about it?
0: Ready to Run Mississippi is August 25th, um, Saturday, in Jackson, Mississippi. They can go to www.readytorunms.com com to find out more about our agenda and to register for only $25 for this day-long training program.
3: Jennifer Gregory with the Stennis Institute, we appreciate your time and speaking with us.
1: Thank you, Desiree. Lucian Smith is chair of the Mississippi Republican Party. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he sees more women running in the state.
4: The Mississippi Republican Party and, and Republicans generally, I think, have a very long history of supporting women candidates women office holders uh you know our newest us senator uh is a woman uh our uh treasurer is a woman uh our, we've had two female chairmen of the uh of the mississippi republican party and our national chairman is a woman we we have historically been very supportive uh, of efforts of women to be in office and so we the party launched this initiative the winner initiative um to help train women who are interested in running for office, help connect them uh, with uh, individuals who could help them raise money, campaign, uh, do uh, advertising, uh, so that we we train women to run for for more offices as as they become available.
3: Do you think in a conservative state like Mississippi that there would be enough groundswell support to put more women in office?
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at, uh, I think you look at Cindy, uh, Hyde Smith, you look at Lynn Fitch, Ah, uh, both Cindy and uh, Lynn, as I know well, uh, beat two men the first time they ran. Uh, and that was among Republican primary voters. Uh, so yeah, I think there's I think Republicans look to the person uh, and say, who's the best person uh, for this office. And don't look to the gender of the individual. Yeah, I think there's going to be an immense appetite, and will continue to be, to have great leaders like Cindy and Lynn uh, in elected office in Mississippi.
3: Lucian Smith, chair of the Mississippi Republican Party, we thank you so much for taking your
1: time to speak with us.
4: Hey, I sure appreciate it. Thank you, Desiree.
1: Coming up, we'll learn more about tech tools for pets on everyday tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: Are you looking for something fun to do this summer? You should check out the MPB events calendar. It has tons of great events. We're talking water slides, kids activities, and even some summer night concerts that are just awesome. If you want to find something nearby or far away, check it out because we have activities across the whole state. If you want a date night or a play day, we have that covered too. There's tons to do for any age, anywhere, anytime. And it's all online at mpbonline.org.
1: This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wilts Cottrell, and today we're discussing
5: pets and technology. So, Wilts, technology changed the way people interact with their pets? Well, Michelle, just like technology has definitely revolutionized the way that all of us communicate with each other, be it, be it instant messaging, texting, uh, video chat, a lot of those same things are actually coming to the pet world. Now, I think we're a long ways off from the day being that our pets are going to actually be texting us back and forth, but we've definitely seen technology's influence when it comes to pet cams, Um, these are devices that can be set up at your home, uh, being set up with a lot of different kennels and veterinary offices, Uh, say, for example, if your pet was having to stay overnight from a procedure, uh, maybe you're on an extended vacation and you've had to board them, or even you're just at the office during the day, you can actually interact with your pet with video and audio, so you can actually see what's going on. You can actually talk back and forth, because let's be realistic with this. When it comes to pets, both owners and pets can have a little bit of separation anxiety. There's there's nothing wrong with using technology to alleviate that, both for the pet and for the pet owner as well. So honestly, that has been a huge advantage when it comes to our utilization of technology with our pets. So Wilts. Technology not only allows people to interact with their pets in a more effective way, but it
1: also can help you keep them healthy
5: and active. Well, indeed, it can. Just like we're seeing with modern smartphones and some of the smart wearables that we have out there, these same things have also come out for pets. And so what we have is essentially fitness monitors as well as GPS trackers that you can affix to your dog, cat or any other animal that you have as a pet. So at its core would be the GPS tracking. We've all seen the heartbreaking signs whenever someone has lost a pet, uh, be it from a thunderstorm they got them a little bit scared, they ran off, or or what have you. With modern GPS technology, even the collar your pet is wearing can help ensure that they actually make it back home. An important thing to remember with this also, though, is just remember you got to have one with a good battery because the battery will eventually run out. So taking it a step further, wearables for your pets today make it possible to collect data about your pet's activity levels, about their diet, and can even alert you if it's sensing unusual behaviors or other kind of health concerns. Several devices can even be set up to connect to your veterinarian in order to help them keep tabs on your dog's health. Remember, by focusing on health as well as activity with our pets, it can also kind of help us out. So just imagine if your pet's getting a lot of good exercise, hopefully you're getting out there with them as well, and it could end up paying off for both of you. Wilts, I've heard a lot about microchipping. What exactly is microchipping, and is it safe for your pet? Well, Michelle, a microchip for your pet is a small device placed just under their skin by your veterinarian. It's probably about the size of a grain of rice. And what happens is this device can... Be scanned by veterinarians across the country or by humane societies whenever a pet is actually found. And it links into a database that would contain your information, contact information, names et cetera, so that they can make sure that your pet is reunited with you. It can definitely be the difference between a lost and found family pet. Is microchipping expensive? Microchipping in and of itself is really not all that expensive. You're generally looking at a one-time fee of anywhere between $25 to $40. Do people need to be concerned about privacy issues? Well, the only information that's actually held on the microchip is an identifying number. So this is not a device that is transmitting or sending out information. Your personal information is not actually contained in that chip in your pet. What's actually there is just a number, just an ID number, very similar to a Social Security number or driver's license number, And the Veterinarian or Humane Society would have to then take that number, plug it into a separate database to look up your information. So FIDO is not walking around with your phone number and address actually under their skin. So, Michelle, while technology does not replace actually enjoying your pet and spending time and sharing that love and interaction, what it can do is it can add to those experiences both for us as well as for our furry friends. Well, that will wrap us up for today. To hear more Everyday Tech, tune in each Wednesday at
1: 10 a.m. or online at mpbonline.org. For Wilt Couture, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This has been Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition.
3: mpbonline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member, all from one place. Get connected now at mpbonline.org.
1: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A group of Mississippi African-American farmers is filing a lawsuit against one of the nation's largest soybean manufacturing companies, They allege the Stein Seed Company in Iowa purposely sold them defective seeds. Soybeans are the top row crop and number three on the list of agricultural commodities in Mississippi, according to the Mississippi State University Extension Service. In 2015, Mississippi soybean producers harvested over 100 million bushels on nearly 2.3 million acres. Thomas Burrell is the president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association an advocacy organization, also a plaintiff in experiencing discrimination.
6: Black farmers are still having a hard time. Uh, They are the victims of racial discrimination, invidious discrimination, systemic discrimination, as those lawsuits proved and as the Department of Agriculture even admitted. So we advocate, we file lawsuits, We lobby members of Congress for the benefit of those who otherwise would not have the resources and the capabilities to uh, file these complaints against giants like the Department of Agriculture and uh, multi-billion dollar corporations like Stein Seeds, etc.
1: Talk about the lawsuit uh, underway currently. What's in the lawsuit exactly?
6: We filed a lawsuit in April of 2018 against a seed manufacturer called Stein, S-T-I-N-E, Seed Company, in Adele, Iowa. Stein is one of the, if not the largest, trait manufacturer of seeds. They modify genes, uh, genetically modified organisms. In other words, Mother Nature has been taken out of the equation, and you have uh, a couple of uh, these seed breeders now, modifying these seeds.
3: What went wrong with the farmers?
6: Black farmers have been the victims of baiting and switching of seeds for a long time. That is to say they will pay for a seed. In this particular case, Stein manufactures what is called a certified seed. That genetically modified seed is certified. And a farmer can only purchase that certified seed if they agree to enter into technological agreements where they can't replant that seed. Stein has intellectual properties. This seed is patented. We believe that this lawsuit, though, will prove that... and they switched, $1,000 $300, tractor, $300,000 combines and 6 and $700,000 operations with the seed that can only produce 20 or 30 bushels. You can't cash flow. So they've invested these hundreds of millions of dollars collectively in making sure that they have the equipment necessary to be productive and competitive. Only to find out, though, that at the, at the end of the day, the seeds that they actually planted will not generate enough income to service the debt associated with the high investment and in equipment.
1: Black Farmers and Agriculturalist Association President Thomas Burrell with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Stein Seed Company President Myron Stein has filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit. In a statement, he says allegations of discrimination are false. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.